Okay, well, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 here. And I, I will answer the question. I know you're all dying to, to hear. Yes, that is mine. Yes, I, I did run it. It was, it, was a, it was a bucket list thing, a check. I did it. Ran, I ran a marathon once in my life. Check that bucket. Rachel and I ran it together in, in 2014. And um, so that's, so yes, that, that is, if you're curious, that is mine. <laughs> um, so, all right, well, before we look at Hebrews chapter 12, let's um, have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you um, for this word to us. Thank you for sending your son to be our savior, to, to run with us, to run the race that we could not run, that we would, that we would not run um, in this life, and to be um, our savior who wins the prize for us. And I pray that these words would strengthen our faith in you and uh, strengthen us to live for you every day and then keep our eyes on the prize of eternal glory with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So our, uh, this is our, our epistle text for this week that goes along with, with the Gospel and Old Testament text, and I saw it for this week, and I said, yes, that's, that's what we got to preach on this week. Uh, so it's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the writer of Hebrews, he wrote this in several chapters here to help fellow Christians who were enduring hardship for their faith. And he writes about Christians who were being oppressed, they were being imprisoned, their houses and goods were plundered. And today, we, we don't face those types of, uh, of oppression, but we do face pressure. There's pressure on Christians on every side to reject the faith, or at least to, to not openly practice it. And so a question for us is, how will you respond when you face hardship for the faith. And looking back at, at Hebrews chapter 10 gives us a response. Verse 35 and 36 says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And verse 39, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so there is a prize that is worth enduring for. But if you decide that the prize is not worth it, then you will not see it. And then the next chapter, Hebrews 11 
recalls the heroes of the faith who endured hardship in this life for the sake of the heavenly prize. In Hebrews 11, it begins with Abel, and then it goes down through history, and it looks at Abraham, and then Moses, and the judges, and King David, and the prophets, and it goes through them, and what they endured, and what they sought. And their lives, then, are a testimony. The record of their lives testifies that they sought a heavenly prize. Hebrews 11 says of Abraham, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then it says of Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And then again, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And I just love this connection here that the writer of Hebrews connects Moses' hope directly to Christ. Before knowing who the Christ would be, Moses' hope was still in the Christ that God would send. Um, and so that brings us now to Hebrews chapter 12. And the writer compares our, race, or our faith to a race. And this race is like a marathon. Everyone who finishes the race receives the prize. And the heroes of the faith, they endured this earthly race to receive the heavenly prize. And so their, their lives, the record of their lives, that is a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. So these people, they're, they're not fables meant to teach us a moral story. They were real people who had real struggles. And they're people whom we are meant to connect with. And uh, there's an element of cross-country running that, that kind of illustrates this. And when, when I ran cross-country in high school, I ran with a team. And our team ran against other teams. So with all the teams on the, on the course, there's hundreds of runners. And when you go out, when, the, you know, when they start the race, the gun goes off and you start your race, you usually try to find a teammate to run with because then together you can encourage each other and to both of you run faster and get ahead. And in this race, the position of every teammate matters. It doesn't matter just who gets first. But every teammate on your team matters to the score of your team. And so you, you try to find another teammate and you encourage each other to get ahead. But even if you can't see a single teammate, you know you are not alone. You're not running this race alone. You run with a team. And now this, this great cloud of witnesses of all those who've had faith in God throughout history, they are this team of faith. They remind us that we do not run this race alone. And some, some days, many days, we might feel like we are a tiny group. Or some days you might feel like you are completely alone, surrounded by opposition to the faith. But you are not. You are part of a huge team of faith that crosses time. And a team that includes millions of believers throughout history. And we think of, hey, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Daniel. Like, these are your teammates. 
And so, so this race of faith is, is like a relay race. It's the greatest relay race ever run with each generation passing off the baton of faith to the next. And so we're, we're carrying a baton of faith that has been passed on from, from the beginning of time until now. And so since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the verse says, we should run as they ran. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And another translation reads, the sin which so easily entangles. And when you're running a long-distance race, well, any race, you don't want extra weight. You wear, the, you wear the lightest clothes that you can. You don't, you know, carry a, a backpack full of rocks on your back. You don't shackle anchors to your ankles to drag around. That's not how you run, right? And sin is like this. Sin, sin is not going to hold hands with you while you run the race. No, it, it is going to jump on your back and, and trap you and wrap you up and trap you to the ground and ground you and pull you off of the race. Sin is contrary to faith, and so it always weakens and undermines faith. So the response to it should be, cast it off, throw it away, leave it in the ditch, and run in freedom. And this happens through the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus and through repentance. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Psalm 103, verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But this, with this forgiveness, there also is repentance in us. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there must be repentance, changing of our ways to align with his ways. So if, sin, if Jesus has saved you from your sins, then you now live in freedom from sin. So to keep going on sinning is, is to grab that sin and, and shackle it back to yourself and chain yourself to it all over again. And Hebrew 12, Hebrews 12 says, lay them aside. Leave them behind on the side of the road. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And another translation of that reads, the race marked out for us. And, and cross-country races are marked out because they, they don't go on a, on a track. They go through wilderness. And so you have to follow the marks. They're marked out with signs and flags and markings. So to you have to stay on the course. And to stay on the course, you have to follow the markings. You have to run the race marked out for you. And also to stay in the race, you, you got to keep running and don't stop. Don't leave the race. You don't say, I'm, I'm going to take a break from this race and come back to it later. 
And likewise with the faith. You don't say, well, I'm, I'm going to take a break from the faith. Just stop being a Christian for a little bit, and I'll come back later. You're not guaranteed later. So you keep running. Stick with it. Don't stop. And then it tells us this course is marked out for us by Jesus Christ and his word. He is the one who has marked out the race. We keep running. How we keep doing it is by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So as the founder, Jesus established the character and the content of the faith. So all who run this race, they follow in his footsteps. We follow the course that he marked out. And Jesus is also the finisher of the race. So he is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. There will never be another runner of this race greater than him. He's the one who completed the course, finished the race, and won the prize. Jesus is the one who, for the joy that was set before him, the prize, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this verse is more than just an example for us to follow. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has won this, and God awards the prize to you for Jesus' sake. So the prize, if it's already been won for you, then you don't earn it by running the race. But if you leave the race, you can't receive it. And we naturally understand this. We understand that like, hey, if you're running the Twin Cities Marathon and going down after a couple miles, you decide, you know, I'm going to leave the course. I'm running through downtown Minneapolis here. I'm going to leave the course. That restaurant looked really good. I'm going to stop. I'm going to have a beer. And then maybe, you know, a couple hours, maybe tomorrow, I'll come back and join the race. But, but if you will come back tomorrow, you will find the event is over. They have packed it up and taken it home. And you try to run to the end of that race, there will be no one there <laughs> to record you. You will not receive anything. We naturally understand if you, if you leave the race, you're not guaranteed you can come back later to get anything. Um, well, well, leaving the race at all, it, it, leaving the race disqualifies you. You can't leave the course. We naturally understand this. But also, on the opposite end, likewise, you can't sneak onto the racetrack later and, and legitimately win the prize. And this is something that runners actually try to do because they don't want to run you know, the full 26 and a half miles of the Boston Marathon. But they want that medal. They want that medal at the end as if they had. And so they'll, they'll do this, though, because there's a crowd watching along the sidelines. So they'll, they'll dress up like a runner. They'll get paper and and put on a fake number like they're a real runner. And then they'll, they'll find, you know, the last two, three miles of the race, sneak onto the race like they're a real runner, and they'll run all the way to the end. And then their hope is that, you know, when they cross that line, someone will hand them that medal because they, like they look like a runner. And now, fortunately, this has become a lot harder uh, to do with modern technology because now when you register for that race they got they got your name and they give you your number and with that number they give you a chip and you'd like you wear it in your shoe or you're clipping on your shirt and so when you start that race computer knows you started when you cross that finish line it knows it is you it records your time it registers you it says this is a legitimate racer 
This one gets the prize. This one gets the medal for finishing. So it's a lot harder to, to fool the system now. And likewise, you cannot fool God. He is all-knowing. He sees everything. He knows who his real children are and who are the fakes. So you can't sneak in at the end. But you can always join because it is Christ who makes us real runners. He, it's Christ who makes us children of God. He endured the cross and despised the shame of disqualification so that we could be, so that we could be children of God and be registered runners in the race. And it says that he endured this because beyond that cross and that shame was the resurrection and his glorification. That was the other side. And now he is seated forever at the right hand of the throne of God. And there's this picture shows two things to us, two ideas. The first is that he's seated as the champion. He's won the race, so now he, he sits in the champion's chair, reserved for the one who has won the race. But the chair is also the right hand of God's throne. And this is a, a symbol for the authority to exercise God's rule. So Jesus Christ, as the ruling champion, has full authority to point to the worst sinner and say, this, this one has, this one is a legitimate racer because he has faith in me and trusts in me. And so for Jesus' sake, you are not disqualified from the race. For his sake, the champion's prize awaits you. Romans 8, 16 through 18 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So Jesus is the founder of the race, he is the champion of the race, and he is the race official who, determined, who, who says, here's who the true races are and here's who finished and as the champion, he is the prize that we look to because we will, when we finish the race, we sit with him. We receive the champion's prize alongside him. We share in his glory. But he is also our fellow racer. As someone who has run the full race as, as a human, endured all of the trials and temptations and sufferings of human life, he's our fellow racer. He has compassion. He understands the difficulty of the race for us. But now as the one seated on the throne, at the right hand of God's throne, he is also our intercessor. He has power to intercede for us, to help you so that you can finish the race. So he's constantly interceding for you to help you stay in the faith through life's hardships. So we look to him, look to Jesus both as the prize at the end that we're hoping for, but also as the one 
who helps us along the race. And in many marathon racers, they reach a point where they, where they stop and give up. They hit the wall, as it's called. And, and the aches and the pains of the body in that race, they are very real. But the wall has much more to do with the mind than it has to do with the body. And Because the mind just reaches a point. It stops believing that the prize is worth the pain. It stops believing that that the race can be finished. And this is why faith is essential. We must remind ourselves that there is an eternal prize that is worth all this and that God will help us. And we must encourage each other with this. And this is one reason why I, after my experience writing this, the, the marathon, I, I think marathon runners are just great. Or 99% of them anyway. <laughs> There's always exceptions. But, but runner, marathon runners are great because they're not really competing with each other. They, and, and they will just encourage each other and help each other finish the race. And just random strangers will just encourage each other, help each other move on. And they'll actually, they'll, they'll find each other and just stick together to help each other both finish even though they're complete strangers. But there's no thought of, oh, I got, I got to beat you. No, it's, it's how can I help you finish this too? And, I, and I've seen a, that's a similar nature of encouragement from fellow believers, but, but better and greater. Because as I've, as I've traveled all around this, this country to many places and many different communities, and, and I'll, I'll meet fellow believers and who are we're total strangers, but we, we discover we're fellow believers, and, and we may not have anything else really in common. We may be very different otherwise, but we've discovered we both love Jesus and are seeking him, and there's just so much encouragement when we discover that, and, and that recognition of our shared faith, it encourages us both to keep going. It strengthens our faith together. And all of us can encourage each other in the same way. We can, you can run together. <laughs> Find someone else to, you know, to run together in faith. It's, it's what we all do here, gathered together. We're running together alongside each other. Encourage each other to stay in the life of faith that God's given us. And so when you see a believer out in the world running solo, encourage them. And, and maybe they're at college and they feel like they're the only believer there. Or maybe at their workforce, you know, they, they feel like they're completely alone. Encourage them, remind them that they are not in this race of faith by themselves. Remind them that the prize in heaven is worth the hardships they face. And remind them that Jesus is, he's their champion. He is their helper. And he is also our Example, verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So it says, think about him. Think about what he experienced. He was betrayed. He was insulted and beaten. He was falsely accused. He was abandoned. He was tortured. He was publicly humiliated, and he was crucified, dead, 
and buried. And throughout it all, he never turned back. He did this all for the people who hated him and afflicted him. And even though he knew, he knew every step what was coming, he knew it was always coming, but he didn't turn away. He kept walking forward into it and through it. And he did that for you, to save you and to win for you the prize of eternal life. And as humans, we don't like to, to dwell on this. We don't like to, to meditate on, on death and on suffering. Uh, we don't like to, when we're faced with it, when we're forced to deal with death, we, we acknowledge it, say it's a tragedy, and then we most, most of the time I think we move on. You know, because we, we don't want to dwell on those emotions. We'd rather escape from them than face them. But when we consider Jesus' sufferings, there is a benefit for us. It helps us from growing weary and faint-hearted. Now, Weariness, that, that's the physical and mental fatigue. When the body just is worn out, you can't keep going. When the brain is worn out, it just can't think <laughs> anymore. Faint-hearted, that is the heart and the will, the, the ability, to, the, the determination to keep going. And so when the, the heart grows faint, it gives up. It doesn't have the will to, to keep going. And what afflicts our heart the worst is discouragement because discouragement says there's no purpose to this and it can't be done, so why keep going? Discouragement, discouragement says, aren't you tired of losing? Aren't you tired of missing out? Aren't you tired of hardship? Aren't you tired of conflict? Why not just, just give up and walk away to get some relief? But hope says... There is a purpose to this, and you can endure it by God's help. And now it might be surprising at first that this hope would come by dwelling on Christ's sufferings. You know, the Bible says, consider the sufferings of Christ at the hands of sinners to get hope. It doesn't say, look at the glory, oh, look at that sweet glory. <laughs> no, it says, look at his sufferings. But when, there's a very reason for this because there was a purpose to Christ's sufferings. And he could not arrive at the glory without going through the sufferings. He could not conquer death without dying. In Christ, we see very concretely that God was able to bring good out of suffering. That doesn't make the suffering good. The suffering remains a tragedy, but you can be confident that the God who used Christ's suffering to bring about our salvation can bring your suffering to, make, to bring good out of it. And the other benefit of dwelling on, of considering Christ's suffering is that as you persevere against hardship, your spirit grows in maturity and strength. Romans 5, 3, and 4 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And I can look back and I can say, no, this has been true in my life. Because as, as a young man, as I learned how to endure through sports like cross country, lots of character development happens in sports. It's good. <laughs> and I had developed character and endurance and hope through that. And that set me up to be able to endure very difficult hardships later in life. I mean, even the worst kinds of trials, trials that made me want to just walk away from the faith. And in those trials, those trials that took me beyond my own endurance and spiritual strength, His Holy Spirit strengthened me to not give up, but to hold on and wait for answers. And sometimes those answers were a very long time in coming. They didn't come right away just because I held out. They came much later. But they did come, and my healing did come. And he lifted me up again to keep running the race of faith for him. And there's real hope for you to keep running this race as well. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You are not alone. You're part of a glorious team that, that crosses space and time. You're part of the family of faith that is forever, even when it feels far away. And when you get entangled in sin or despair, there is Jesus Christ, your Savior, standing ready to wash you from all sin. He is the one who established the race, ran the race, and won the race for you. And there is a prize at the end that is worth anything you can endure in this life. The prize of eternal life in glory with Christ where there is no pain or corruption or sorrow. And it is Christ who holds this prize and he intercedes for you to ensure that you will reach the end of the race. So you look to him. Look to him as your strength and your prize and as your champion. He won it all for you, and he is with you to strengthen you so that you can endure it. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who ran the race of faith in this life with perfect holiness and righteousness in every way, but endured every trial, temptation, suffering that we experience. And he died on the cross to save us from our sin, to save us from the worst penalty so that he could give us the greatest prize, eternal life in glory with him, free from all corruption and sorrow and shame. And pray that you would put in our hearts today just a, a love for this prize. Set our eyes and our heart upon it so we would see it and put our faith in you as our, as our God and our Savior, um, knowing that this promise is from you and the promise of real help for each day is from you and that your Spirit is in us and with us to guide and strengthen us, to keep us in the faith each day, and that you love us and forgive us and pick us up any time we stumble and fall, so we can always come to you, always turn back to you. I pray that you would just strengthen our faith in this every day. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.